You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We welcome you into another Locked On Syracuse podcast, this Wednesday edition. Tim Leonard and Tyler Aki here with you, and we're going to preview the Niagara game, the basketball game coming up on Thursday night. Kind of a jam-packed week. We got a crossover week. You got football on Saturday, so we'll get that football preview to you on tomorrow's episode. That'll drop the day of the game, the basketball game, but that'll be everything you need to know about Notre Dame and what we're looking for from the Syracuse football team in that game. And then Friday, we'll probably hop on here and recap the Niagara game, which hopefully should be a win, Ty. I mean, game one, we we thought was going to be a, a resounding win. Now it's Niagara's the team coming in that has the practice issues and the COVID right, yeah. timetable. You think uh, Greg Paulus is going to be complaining? You think at halftime he's going to say that they, they <laughs> should have canceled? Even played? Yeah, we should have canceled the game. You think that's going to uh, happen? I don't think so. Something tells me he doesn't. He can't really get away with that. He's half half <laughs> yeah. the age of Bayheim and everything. Yeah. I And what is this? This is his first full year with Niagara because last year was Patrick Beeline was supposed to take over. And then obviously he left because right. of personal mm-hmm. reasons. So I think they did give him a full contract though, right? Like Paulus is... I believe he's... The, yeah, he's, he's there for the foreseeable future now. Yeah. So we'll get into Niagara in a little bit. They're, they're a scrappy little team. I'll say yeah, that. Yeah. I mean... They're a scrappy and, and think, little team emphasis on little that's they they don't have (laughs) any size (laughs) like and that's what they were last year Syracuse beat them last year 71 57 which they probably should have beat them by more last year and if you're trying to remember that game it was right before ACC play like right before the new year it was the game that Elijah Hughes almost had a triple double if that jogs your memory he had 19 points nine rebounds nine assists and this Niagara, the, the story on them, and we'll get more in detail on their players in just a little bit, but to give you a little preview, it's a small team that chucks a lot of threes and doesn't rebound and doesn't play a whole lot of defense, and they play some zone. But we'll, we'll dive into Niagara. We actually are going to start with uh, some comments from assistant coach Alan Griffin on the ESPN, what was it, ESPN Syracuse with Seth yep, Goldberg Orange Nation, today? Seth Goldberg, Orange. Stephen Fonte. Great show. Check them out. But I, I was kind of, it, it was one of the more revealing coaches interviews I think that we've gotten in quite some time. Cool. So you listen to this. I have not listened to it, but I think this actually works out well. You can kind of break down. I'll fire what, at you. All right. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll give my takeaways from it. Okay. So we'll start with this. And this was probably the most notable thing I think he said. And he's talking about, of course, Griff coaches the centers, the big men. Okay. So he, he's getting peppered with all these questions about the big men, Barama, all that stuff. And he's talking about how it's really unfortunate Barama went down because he felt like he was hitting his stride. And I think both you and I are in agreement. Barama was hitting his stride at the yeah. end of the year. He looked like he was finally feeling healthy, finally looking like the guy that Syracuse was supposed to get when he came in. And then, of course, you get this injury. So here's the most notable thing that I thought he said. And this came near the end of the interview, if I'm remembering correctly. But... He was asked, I believe by Stephen Fonte, saying, hey, what's, what are the chances that we might see a little bit of Quincy at the five because of the fact that, you know, Marek, he's got a history of foul trouble. Like, let's be honest, he's got that history. What are the chances that we see Quincy at the five? And he says, you never know. All options are on the table right now. And to me, sure. that kind of showed the confidence that Beheim, the coaching staff, everyone on this team has 
in those youngsters at the center position. So what do you think when you hear that? Well, it's odd because, like, what was it, last year? It was the year that they did the foreign trip. So maybe that was two years ago that Bayheim just came out and said, Marek at the five is the dumbest thing I've ever done, or I would never do that, and, and that's ludicrous to think I could put Marek at the five. And then he followed that up in a couple months by putting Marek at the five, and now here he is saying that Marek is our best He's got five. no choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do think Quincy is like a better bigger body at the five position but i feel like he has less zone knowledge at this point in more than any position maybe in the zone now the top of the zone has been a huge weakness for them but the the anchor spot of the zone you've got to get out to the corner you've got to know how far to come up on that high post jump shot area like uh michael green drove on the last play of the bryant game the last possession i guess about 18 seconds left when he hit a little floater over Dolzhai, and Dolzhai just didn't get up to the free throw line to get, like, close off his airspace. And then Green got a floater, which cut it to one. So I guess it wasn't the last possession, but I think people remember that play. And Beheim was, you know, seen giving Dolzhai kind of the business on the sideline, like, get up. So there's a lot of little things that go into that position. And considering Quincy has struggled in the wing spot of the zone, which it still has some intricacies, don't get me wrong, but I feel like Dolzhai just has more zone experience. So that is the trade-off there with going with Quincy. Right, and I don't think this was a, a like, hey, we, we have to put Quincy at the five. No, it was more like out of desperation. Like, you're yeah. tr- going to try to milk every minute you can out of Dolzhai. Hope he avoids foul trouble. I don't think he's going to be one of those guys that's super winded. He seems like he's in shape. He seems like he's ready for this season. He seems like someone who didn't just sit around during that little layoff that they had from practice. He seemed like he was ready to go. I don't know if, if that's what you gleaned also. Oh, totally. From, I've never seen Dolajai, like, not hustle, though. I mean, he always right. kind of gives off that vibe. But I, I agree with you, totally. So... That that's that's what I kind of was taken away with by by Griff's comments on ESPN Syracuse. I thought it was interesting too, because in that answer he didn't say, "Oh well, we prefer him at the four, we prefer him at the three. No, he just kind of said, "Hey, you never know. All options are on the table right now." And he he went into a couple other things after that. But I thought that was interesting. That this is something, and you can get away with it against a Niagara, against a Ryder. You can get away with it against those teams. It's just when you end up facing the ACC opponents that are on your schedule. You're going to get into the UNCs and the Florida States. Those are the teams that you can't get away with having Quincy at the five. And per Ken Palm, he played some five last year. I don't think, I think that's one place where maybe yeah, Ken the computer Palm's calculations are a little off. Yeah, I was going to bring so, that up because uh, Ken Palm has him as like the main center in game one. And we both know that Dolajai was back there as the anchor. And like all the time in that second half when they were riding that lineup. And for whatever reason, they list Quincy as the five. And if you go to Ken Palm's lineups right now, the most common lineup has Quincy at the five and he's, that, his yeah, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that's totally wrong. wrong. And listen, the computers, it, yeah, the they computers, can't always be right. <laughs> it's, it's the preseason for them too, or the early portions of the season for them too. They're still kind of, I don't know, calibrating, maybe some software updates, all that stuff. They they need to get going with the regular season flow. They need a, they need their warm up shots too. But uh, some of the other things that were said, you ready for this? Frank Anselm, one of if not the best athlete on the team, makes sense though, right? I mean, I I saw, I think. A player said that, and I can't remember who, but one of his teammates said that. 
And I started to think about it. Quincy's a great athlete. Alan Griffin, I think, showed a lot of athleticism. And I mean, that dunk, yeah. That, yeah, that dunk, dunk was, was pure athleticism. <laughs> right, and the chase down block potential. His Some of his closeouts were pretty quick. I mean, Alan Griffin has NBA athleticism, and so does Quincy. Outside of that, I, I this isn't like a super athletic Syracuse team or Syracuse roster compared to maybe recent Syracuse teams or even going back to when Syracuse wasn't perpetually on the bubble and, and we weren't always angry in the regular season. Like right. those teams had great athletes. And I'm trying to think too of some of the other guys. I actually think they're sneaky, a little underrated athletically. Like I think Marek's a pretty good athlete. I think Kadari is going to be a really good athlete. Joe Girard's a multi-sport athlete. So I yeah, think but if they're you like have an to underrated athleticism. There, yeah, then no, I mean they're in a different tier. Yeah, that's fair. I, I just think that some of those guys and Jesse Edwards, I think sneaky athletic too. He can, he's got the length too. Maybe it's just the coordination with him that that's something that he needs to develop. But um, yeah, no, I, I think that Frank, it kind of does make sense too. I mean, the way that he was described to us was he's a rim runner, he's gonna block shots, and he can catch alley oops, and he's got the the hand eye to go up and get any ball that you need. Wait, to wait, oh, like a, a, wide a receiver, Syracuse so. big man with, with I know. hand-eye coordination? Newsflash, <laughs> this is something we're not used to. But So th- those were some of the things that stuck out to me. And then a couple more. He was talking about who who is going to be one of these guys that can step up at the center position. He did mention Jesse was set back both physically and conditioning-wise and was kind of put behind the others when he got back from the Netherlands over that when there was that period where he could not get into the United States. Another thing about John Bolajac said he's the most skilled player that they have on the perimeter in terms of the, the group of bigs and also a super smart player. And also he said that just because of the way that the game flowed and they were never at any point in that game blowing out Bryant kind of unfortunate. Some of the younger guys didn't get a little more playing time who could have. And again, we've kind of, talked about Niagara and Ryder being sort of tryout games for some of these younger guys. It's kind of unfortunate that some of the younger guys didn't get that playing time to go show what they can do in real live game action. You know, we might need to start doing a backup center power rankings or something, because I I feel like since we've started discussing, or since that Brian game, it's been, all right, Anselm or Edwards, where do we lean? And I feel like I've just gone back and forth. It's like our and Dior like, meters all over. Well, we don't have <laughs> yeah, a Dior meter it, anymore, so we I can, know, we can do like the, I'm trying to think, the the centers of attention or something like that. We'll, we'll figure yeah. out a name for it. We'll workshop the name so it's not, I mean, we'll, we'll come back with something, but just some running bit with it. Because when you said that Anselm athlete thing, and then you said Edwards was back in conditioning i was like huh maybe maybe anselm's ahead of edwards and then there's five other things that we've talked about this week that it's like huh maybe edwards because he played the second half minutes and but then it's like oh anselm played more minutes than edwards so maybe that means that he's ahead of him i think after each game before we get into sort of acc play when it becomes pretty clear because at some point Bayheim's probably just going to make a decision and whoever is the guy is, is he going, going to make get... a decision, though? Because I'm starting to think it might just be ride the hot hand. Ride who you think has played better in practice. And if they're not getting it done, then, well, okay, either Marek, short break for you. We're going to go back to you, and you just can't foul. Or, hey, we're going to go with the next man. I, I don't think there's going to be very long leashes for these backups. I just yeah, maybe can't see he that won't. happening. 
I mean, he can't play more than eight guys. We know that's just not in his DNA. It, it never has been. But the good news is... Nothing wrong with not, that either. Yeah, not not good news, I guess. But now with Sidibe out, you have one more guy to get to eight guys. Like, originally we thought you could only have Anselm or Edwards or play one of the two. Now you could maybe play two and get to eight. But some people would argue Robert Braswell will get more minutes now. because. And let's remember this, too. This is only going to be a topic if Marek is in foul trouble. Like, this, if Marek's not in foul trouble, he's playing 40 minutes. Unless it's a blowout. And you think you so? Can give him, oh, yes. I, I totally believe in that. In the coming what, games, though, they're going to give Anselm and Edwards some run. Like, Niagara, you hope he should so. be and, in hand. And again, I, yeah. that's why I said because of game flow. If, if it is going to be a blowout, obviously Marek's not going to play 40. Nor should he be playing 40 in those games. But if it's not a blowout, if it, things are all close and he's staying out of foul trouble, there's no reason why he shouldn't be on the floor all 35, yeah, you're probably right. 38, 40 minutes. Like, he'll start Rutgers, and Bayheim would love to keep him out there for all 40 minutes, barring some I'd love revelation. to keep him out there all 40 minutes, too. I mean, if, if everything Rutgers, is going though, right I mean, with they him. They got some, some big guys. I, I just, I feel like there's a scenario that Dolajai just looks really good against Bryant because Bryant has no height, and it's just, it, I, I get the pros of putting Dolajai at the five, I just really feel like there's a huge drop off in doing it once you raise up in competition and get to that next tier. That there, there is a little bit. Soon. I think, yeah, I think that's that's valid too. I don't know. He's he's gonna have to get back on his uh, Deshambo diet and, and get back to the maybe up it to like eight protein shakes a day. While you guys are watching this Niagara game on Thursday, we've got the perfect thing to have by your side. And that's the only beer out there that's literally made to chill. It is Coors Light, my favorite beer. Coors Light wants you to know that no matter what sport is on this fall. Saturdays are your time to chill. It's therapeutic watching sports. It's uninterrupted me time, an excuse to chill and drink beer. Coors Light is the official beer of watching any sport or team just to drink beer. It's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. It's always my go-to beer when I'm watching Syracuse sports. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Again, that is get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Got to tell you about the best protein bar on the market. That, of course, is Built Bar. With new flavors seemingly coming out all the time, including one of my new favorites is the Caramel Brownie and the Cookies and Cream, both of which I recently got through Built Bar. They are awesome. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to choose. And the best part of all of this is that even though it tastes like a candy bar, they are healthy for you. They're perfect if you're trying to maintain weight, lose weight, whatever. Built Bar is the way to go. Just take the peanut butter brownie for a second here. 19 grams of protein, only 180 calories, only 5 grams of sugar, and only 5 grams of net carbs. That's what you're getting with Built Bar. You are getting a delicious reward for your workout while also making a super healthy choice as well. And right now, Built Bar, a new offer for you here for fans of the Locked On Syracuse podcast and the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you will get 20% off your next order. BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, all one word, and you will get 20% off your next order. All right, let's get into Niagara now and give you guys the 411 on this team, the Purple Eagles, which is a, a top 10 nickname probably in college basketball. 
Greg Paulus, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He played some basketball at Duke, played some football at Syracuse, is their head coach. They've got, just like we said, a lot of returning guys, but they're all small. It's like 6'2", 5'10", 6'3", a lot of guards like that. Probably their best player is Marcus Hammond. He yep. really struggled against uh, Cuse last year. He only had four points, was two for five from three, or sorry, two for five from two-point range, 0 for four from three in that game. I was going to say, how can you make two threes and have four points? But I just misread it. So Hammond is their go-to guy. He comes around screens a lot. He's a great three-point shooter, led the country in three-point shooting his freshman year, had kind of a sophomore leap last year, I guess you could call it. And he's got a lot of range. He shoots it quickly. Just everything that you could think of that goes into a good three-point shooter, that's basically him. Justin Roberts, another guy that will just chuck threes, 47% from three in conference play last year, a Toledo transfer. But, I mean, this is on paper a good matchup for Syracuse. I guess the three-point shooting's concerning a little bit because the zone allows threes. I feel like Syracuse should be able to just dominate them when they're on defense, though, and SU is on offense. Here's the thing that worries me, is that when you play a 2-3 defense, okay, you're going up against a five-out offense. So what I mean by that is a lot of times Niagara won't have a single guy in the paint. They will literally, like, think about the the NBA three-point shooting competition. Boom, it's one guy at each spot, and they just kind of all move around some some screen ball action and stuff like that, off-ball screens. Like, that's the offense that they're going to try to run in this game. So the five-outs, you kind of have one guy, it feels like, in the middle of nowhere in the anchor portion of the zone because – their center is either going to be a 6'9 Nicholas Kreitholm or a 6'6 Greg Kukamensa. So there's not a lot of height on this team, as we mentioned. One of the shortest teams in the country. So you're going to have to deal with the three-point shot. And this is a team that last season, 25th in the country in three-point shooting percentage. 37% for the whole season. 40% from three in conference. Just let that number settle in for a little bit. 40% from three in conference. And you mentioned Hammond can get it done. Justin Roberts can get it done. Both of those guys around 47% in conference last year. And Nick McDonald, a guy who can shoot the ball off the bench. He was three of nine against Cuse last year from deep. So there's a number of weapons that can hurt you. And the way that Syracuse led up threes last game, it's going to be a concerning thing against the Syracuse defense. Yeah, I mean, I talked about how Childs for Bryant would be that kryptonite potential. He's going to make a ton of threes and get hot, and then it's like, oh my gosh, can we just stop this guy? Someone get out on him. And that was kind of true. He had like five threes in the first half, and Bryant as a team just shot the ball really well. Niagara has like three or four guys that could be that guy. The kind of devil's advocate to this argument is they tried to play five out last year. They were a very similar team makeup last year. A lot of these same guys that we're naming came into the Dome last year and just didn't shoot very well against the 2-3 zone. They were 6-for-27 from three last year. And they never really got into any sort of offensive flow. Syracuse dominated them on the boards. Barama Sidibe got a lot of like alley-oops in the back half of because they're going to play some 2-3 zone, it looks like, Niagara. And that's what Bryant threw at Cuse. I don't think Hughes has any shot of playing press in this game. And I do think Anthony DeBundo touches on that in DeBundo's digits in a little bit. But that would seem foolish to me, especially, too, when, when you factor in that Barama's out of the lineup and you've got a little less depth. Yeah, here's the thing, too, with this five-out offense. 
you're going to get one chance to make a three. We saw a number of times where Bryant would get offensive rebounds, kick it back out, and then they'd move the ball around and it'd turn into some second chance points. With Niagara, that's not going to be the case because they are literally the worst rebounding team in the country from a season ago. And I don't think that's going to get better given the fact that they're not gaining anything really in height or the fact that the strategy of their offense doesn't cater to rebounding. They're not going to offensive rebound, and they're really not that great defensive rebounding either. So if Syracuse, again, they're going to let up a lot of three-point attempts in this game, I'd imagine. But it's going to only be one attempt per possession. At least that's the goal. That That's the way that this should work out, is that it's only going to be one three-point attempt per possession, whereas you're not going to, whereas Bryant was sometimes getting two, maybe three chances at getting a three, and then it turns into points. Niagara is 251 on Ken Palm to start the year right now. They have not played a game, and they have been It's a 50-spot jump from their preseason from last year, too. Yeah, so, I mean, this is a team, I think Greg Paulus is doing some great things, and like you said, those three-point numbers in conference play, they were good in conference play. They knocked off Sienna and Monmouth and some of the Each top of the top teams. four teams in the MAAC. Yeah, which... I mean, that's weird because they finished the year 9-11 and in conference play, but four of their nine wins came at home against those top teams in the conference. They have not made the NCAA tournament since 2007. This is a program that has been down, but I do think Greg Paulus is kind of getting them on the right track. That being said, Syracuse should win this game handedly. And and we said that about Bryant. That's I'm a little more hesitant this time because Bryant, we, we gave you the Kempom numbers before that game, Bryant was projected to be 300th or something on Ken Palm. Now they've gone way up to 257, and Niagara's 251. And Syracuse won 71-57 last year. I just remember watching that game last year. They had it in the bag the entire time, and Niagara just doesn't have any sort of bodies or height to throw at Syracuse, which was kind of the case with Bryant, and they managed, but Bryant at least had, like, Elijahs and a couple guys that were shot blockers. And they had just a better overall defense and came in with a game plan. Syracuse will have practice before this. I, I really think they should just completely run run out of the gym here with Niagara. And that would this make is a me much just, better matchup. For yeah, Syracuse, it would put I me think. at ease because yeah, right. that's what should have like, happened. If you thought Marek's stats were great last game, like I'm not kidding. He could have a triple-double against this team because of the fact that he's going to be the biggest guy out there on the floor at all times, no matter who who Niagara throws out there. And then on top of that, we know he can score. He's going to be able to take advantage of some matchups down low. He can facilitate. I don't think Joe Girard's going to start 0 for 11 again. I think Buddy Beheim's going to continue his hot shooting. And Marek's going to get every single rebound that he wants to because he's going to be a more athletic. He's going to be taller. He's going to be longer than all those other guys. So that that's why I think that this is a really good matchup for Syracuse. I think that they can exploit... The, the absolutely putrid defense, this team comes in, checks in at 325th in Ken Palm's defensive efficiency heading into this. So that's almost last in the entire country. So Syracuse is going to, we know this is a good offense. Like say what you want about last game, putting up 85 points after not practicing really for two weeks is pretty impressive. I think this is going to be a really good offensive team. And you could say, oh, well, it's Bryant. Well, guess what? It's Niagara this week, all right? The opponent quality really doesn't change that much. If anything, I think it might be a little bit worse heading in, in terms of the matchup. Yeah, uh, better that matchup. You're getting. Yeah, it's a much better matchup for Syracuse in this game. So I am I think that they're going to be able to handle them pretty, pretty good in this game. 
Um, the you're not gonna get pushback on rebounds. The the rebounding disparity last game, Cuse only won it 47 to 45. All right, this is gonna be more like 47 to 20 in in the rebounding department this time around. Yeah, I think Marek could have a huge game. I like that call. And he's a zone buster, too. They love flashing him high posts, getting him some touches there because he can facilitate. So, all right, for more on this matchup, let's go to our guy Anthony DeBundo from the Daily Orange. It's time for DeBundo's Digits. The numbers you need to know. Anthony DeBundo breaks down the biggest stats for this week's Syracuse matchup. DeBundo's Digits. On the Locked On Syracuse Podcast. Syracuse barely survived its season opener against Bryant. As we take a look at some of the advanced numbers from that game, the Orange have some concerning defensive trends to worry about as Niagara enters the Carrier Dome on Thursday night. Syracuse defense typically blocks more shots than most NCAA teams year in and year out, but on Friday, SU blocked just 2.9% of Bryant's shot attempts, which is mostly due to the absence and injury to center Barama Sidibe. Without Sidibe, the Orange's defense wasn't able to alter or affect shots much at all. They enabled Bryant to shoot 52.9% on two-point field goal attempts and 35% from three. The Bulldogs did cool off from beyond the arc in the second half, and they were able to turn over Bryant on 24.5% of their possessions, but the Orange's defense really struggled, and it's a continuation of a trend from last season. But as we look ahead to Niagara, the Purple Eagles have not yet played a game. SU is first on their schedule, and under second-year head coach Greg Paulus, who some Syracuse fans may remember, Niagara returns almost everyone from its team last year. They only have one senior who graduated, but they struggled most on the glass last year, ranking second to last in offensive rebounding and last in defensive rebounding, mainly because they ranked last in height. They didn't have any size at all, being the shortest team in the country, and that massively limited their ability to compete with a team as big as SU was last year when Syracuse handled the Purple Eagles in December. The Orange are shorter this year than they are in years past, as they rank just 35th in overall height nationally with their main rotation of players. That does not include Sidibe, so his return in a month or so could improve that number going forward. One area where Niagara excelled last season was in three-point shooting. The Purple Eagles ranked 25th nationally in three-point percentage at 37.2% last year. And one area where they do not get much offensively is from the free-throw line. Only 13 teams had a lower rate of getting fouled and going to the line, and they ranked 320th in percentage of points coming from the charity stripe. But the Purple Eagles are much better at protecting the ball than Bryant was, ranking 22nd last year in offensive turnover rate. It will be interesting to see if Jim Beheim continues the press against a unit that is undersized and better at keeping the ball, especially when you consider the Orange's depth issues without Sidibe. And despite their lacking size, the Purple Eagles did not play fast this year, but neither did Bryant entering last game, and that game had a lightning pace to it. So Thursday will shed some light as to whether the Orange are really going to continue to push the pace more than they ever have under Beheim, or if the win over Bryant was more of a one-off in terms of playing faster. All right, we appreciate it as always from Anthony DeBundo. You can find him on Twitter at Anthony DeBundo, and he, he's been doing some great work over at the Daily Orange. Had the same type of thing he did for football, was a two part statistical breakdown preview of the season. That'd be good to check up on as we get the season going here. And also, we'll have him back on the show tomorrow for, for our football recap of Notre Dame. But let's take one last break, come back to our prop shop, and give you our picks for this Niagara game. 
All right, time to go to the prop shop now. One of our favorite things in our game preview. We always wrap it up by giving you guys some fake bets to follow along with. You can tweet at us at LO underscore Syracuse. Play along with us, please. Even drop a review in our podcast feed, wherever you get our podcasts, and, and give your picks for the week and, you know, slap a little five-star on there for us. Ty, we had a, a brutal, brutal opener against Brian in the prop shop. Have it's you- the preseason for us, too. We didn't get any practice, Tim. No practice. We were off for two. We shouldn't have even made the picks, okay? We should we have, even have canceled made the, picks. the picks. I, yeah. I can't believe that. That's on me. I should have never let us make those picks, Tim. Should have never <laughs> let us make those picks. Yeah, and also Stephen Bailey. I, I hate you. That's that's also, <laughs> I'll throw that in. No, yeah, you're we trying went, to get ahead uh, of it. Yeah, it just that's that's a fault of mine. I, I just like to get ahead of things. You know, it's it's a little thing I have. Sorry, and you know, don't I read everything? Sorry, Stephen. Okay, so you were zero uh, and five. I was one and four. That is brutal. But um, the Joe Girard, I, I was say, the Joe Girard for us. I got lucky. The one I got was Barama fouls under, and you hit the over. You tried to hit the over on that, and because Barama played like five minutes, that was a smashing success for me. But we missed on buddies. Barona got we us again. We both had buddy right? under, and I don't. I don't know why. We we we, we set it at nineteen and a half. That was a foolish bet from us. We well, we Kadari. we took the under because we thought it, it would be a blowout. He'd get to yeah. like sixteen to eighteen points, and then he'd be pulled from the game. All right. Right. The the game right, flow. So our picks. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely did. So we're bouncing back this week. Here are our prop shop bets. Let's start with Kadari Richmond. His minutes played. It's going to be a hot topic, of course. I am. I improved it a little bit. He played nine minutes last game. Again, I, I'm operating on the assumption that this game flow is going to yield more bench minutes, more Kadari minutes. So I set it at 15 and a half. Where do you lean? You know... I think this might hit right on the number. I think it's going to be 15 in this game. I think he's going to try to wow. get Joe Girard the confidence back. So I'm going to go. And listen, I'm fine with 15 minutes for Kadari. I think that's that's the perfect amount for him. So I'm going to go with the under. I'm going to, because of the, the hook there, I'm going to take the under on Kadari minutes. Now, if you said 14 and a half, probably take the over. But I'm All going right. to, because of the number, I'm going to take the under. You know... I was going to take the over, and now I'm hesitant. I think I'm going to take the under. I'm with you. 16 minutes seems like a lot, and I think Beheim just, even though he's compared the guy to Tyler Ennis and Johnny Flynn, it just feels like he's not quite there yet with Kadari. Somehow, after the first game, only playing nine minutes in the first game makes me think, unless it's a big blood, he's not going to get past 15 and a half. All right, Alan Griffin points, 13 and a half. I'm going to take the over here because... I just couldn't be more in on the Alan Griffin hype train. He had 14 game one, and... I do think the game flow will yield even more points for him. And he also didn't even shoot that great game one. So he'll probably no, he didn't. Yeah. be a little bit better. He got really hot in that first half, and then it kind of yeah. kind of dipped a little bit in the second half. He did have the explosive dunk in the second half. But I'm actually, I once again, I think because of the hook here, I think this could be a 13-point performance out of him. I think wow. a lot more points are going to go Joe Girard's way. And don't be surprised if maybe you see his Alan Griffin's points take a little bit of a dip. Listen, there's nothing wrong with 13 points, okay? That, that's exactly what you kind of brought him in to do, I feel like. So I'm going to say 13-point performance. Let's go with the under on Alan Griffin. All right, Greg Paulus. This is one of our fun ones for the week. When will the football highlights of him playing football in the Dome, we know they're coming at some point, when will they come in the broadcast? 
The over-under here, is it before or after the under-12 media timeout? So the second break of the game. I'm going to say it happens before, and they come out of the first break. So whenever the under-16 is, they come back and give us those great Greg Paulus football highlights. This is an ACC Network game, correct? I think so, yes. Okay, so I'm actually going to say after the under-12 because this feels like blowout content filler. At some point late in the game, because yeah, you feel dude, like that's a good point. You feel like okay, the beginning. It's the ACC network. They're gonna focus more Syracuse centric for the first at least half of the game, right? And then you get into the second half, and that's when you sort of fill in on some of these other things with Greg Paul. So it'll probably get mentioned. It, well, not probably. It will get mentioned earlier on, but later it's gonna be after that under twelve when you're gonna see the football highlights. It's gonna be nauseating how many times they bring it up. It's like. Who was it? Charles Pride? Is that the kid's name? Who, who yeah. was a Syracuse native? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, every time he touched the ball for Brian, it was Syracuse It's going to be the, the Brandon Trish winningest player in, in <laughs> yeah. Q's history. Like, I'm going to feel like I'm watching the, the TBT broadcast all over again. Yeah, I almost tweeted from our account. Did you guys know that uh, Charles Pride went to Liverpool? Just just <laughs> in. or It was Liverpool, right? Now I'm. Uh, yes, it was Liverpool, yeah. yeah. Syracuse native, Liverpool, Charles Pride. And then it was like one minute left in the game. Oh, here comes the Syracuse native. Like, we, we've gotten it by that point. All right. So we're, we're on different sides there on Paulus. The spread is not out yet as of us recording this on Tuesday night. Oh, wait. We got, we, we got one more. We got one more. You, you, you skipped over uh, a threes, oh. three-pointers allowed. Oh, you're right. You're right. Three-pointers allowed, nine and a half. I'm going to go over on that. I know they only hit six last year, but they've just got too many weapons, and our zone just stinks. Like, the top of the zone stinks at this point. There's no other way for me to really believe that they make terrific strides at this point in the season there. Yeah, too many weapons, too many attempts, I think, are inbound to not hit the over nine and a half. And listen, they could go over nine and a half, and Syracuse could still play decent defense, I think, against it. Like, we could be looking at this team going 11 for, like, 40 from three. Like, I'll and I like that. that bet because blowout or not, I think we have a chance of winning that. It's not like dependent on game flow a ton. I think right, if it's a yeah. blowout, they could still be chucking and, and actually get to it even more than in a tight game. A little backdoor right. cover there. Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. On that nine and a half. We need yeah. it after going one win in, in 10 picks last yeah. week as, yeah. as a collective. Mm-hmm. So 82-62 is what Ken Palm projects this score to be. He gives Niagara a 4% chance of winning in the Dome. So we will set the spread because it's not out yet anywhere on like DraftKings or anything like that. We'll set it at 20, and then we'll just use Ken Palm for the over as well at uh, 144, tallying up his 82 plus 62. I will say they cover the 20 barely, and it might even be backdoor and Agra gets it back, but I'm, I'm almost torn to not say they cover. But yeah, I'll say they win by like 21 points. I think Q scores right around 75-80, and Niagara hits some threes early, maybe makes it interesting, maybe gives us a little bit of a heart attack. But at the end of the day, Syracuse has way more talent, and Niagara's defense is just way too bad. I, I don't see Q's... Like, it's going to be very easy for them to get to 60-70 points against this Niagara defense, given the talent they have on offense. Right. I, I'm going I'm gonna take Cuse. I think this is I think Syracuse actually gets into the nineties in this game. I just think the offensive flow is gonna be way better. They're gonna cause some turnovers. Hopefully they're they're not gonna to rely too much on that press, especially against a five out offense. So I'm gonna go with Syracuse to to win this game, 
91 to 66. Give me the over. Give me cues with the points. I like it all. I think that this could be a, a really, really three-point dominant game on both sides of the ball. I think that Syracuse could shoot the lights out. I think that Niagara could shoot the lights out. So give me a, a 91-66 Q's victory. I like that. Okay, so that's that's our Niagara preview for you guys. Follow us on Twitter. We'll be live to win the game Thursday night at LO underscore Syracuse on Twitter. And subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you'll get our Notre Dame preview coming your way tomorrow right to your preferred podcast feed in the morning. For Tyler, I'm Tim. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.